Martial Arts World Radio is the official radio show and podcast of The Factory Martial Arts Boxing and Fitness at 450 Matheson Boulevard East, Unit 44, Mississauga, Ontario. Check us out at www.factorygrindgym.com. Welcome to Martial Arts World Radio. I'm your host, Joseph Clark. Over the next hour, we have three guests, which include the legendary Superfoot Bill Wallace, Olympic Taekwondo team member and Hall of Famer George Bell, and former UFC fighter Jeff Jocelyn. I have a book to bring to your attention. Check out 21st Century Perspectives on Martial Arts at Amazon. Also, for UFC and Everlast Apparel, video games, and training equipment, check out our show website at www.mawradio.com. This week's inspirational quote is from Arnold Schwarzenegger and goes as follows, The last three or four reps is what makes the muscle grow. This area of pain divides the champion from someone else who is not a champion. That's what most people lack, having the guts to go on and just say they'll go through the pain no matter what happens. Arnold Schwarzenegger, seven-time Mr. Olympia. Hi, I'm Bob Wall, a World Full Contact Karate Champion, and I'm the co-star of End of the Dragon. You're listening to Martial Arts World Radio with Joseph Clark. Jeff the Inferno Jocelyn was a professional MMA fighter who fought in the UFC as a welterweight. He has been a martial artist since he was five years of age, and he is the head instructor at Jocelyn MMA. Jeff, thank you for joining us, and welcome to Martial Arts World Radio. Oh, thanks. thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. Jeff, let's begin with you walking us through your UFC fight against Josh Koscheck. Um, well, it was uh, you know, a long time coming. I, I had uh, uh, tried out for the reality show a few times. It was uh, you know, a rough road to the UFC, but I finally got the call, and uh, they called us, and they said nobody else wanted to fight Koscheck in the division, so we said, yeah, of course we would, you know, so, uh, you know, training camp went really well for it, and um, uh, we were excited about the fight, you know, I really look, I look at a fight uh, going into one uh, as, as three avenues, you know, you have wrestling, you have jiu-jitsu, and you have striking, so going into that fight, uh, you know, I believe I had better striking, better jujitsu, and of course he had the better wrestling. So that was a good fight for me to take. And my goal as a fighter is always to be better at, at, at two out of three uh, aspects, uh, if not three out of three, hopefully. So um, yeah, the fight went uh, uh, really well. Yeah, it was a cool uh, uh, setup. I fought at Miramar Base for all the Marines, so it was an honor to fight in front of them and entertain them and uh, get a chance to fight on Spike TV for my first fight. Uh, I went to a three-round decision and uh, did some things that I, I really liked in the fight. I learned a lot of stuff as well, and uh, it was a good, uh, great night. What an incredible opportunity. It's your first fight in the UFC. You're fighting Josh Koscheck. You're on Spike TV, and your fight is live at Miramar, California, at the Naval Base. Yeah, yeah, it was kind of unique. I, 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 definitely, I definitely knew that it would be... Uh, the underdog going in, uh, of course, fighting a, a well-known fighter at that time and being a new guy to the UFC, and then, of course, fighting in a U.S. Marine base against a U.S. citizen. I knew it would be a little bit of an uphill battle, but uh, throughout my career, I had to fight in Quebec as well, too, so I was always, always kind of the outsider, so I was used to that. Jeff, what was your preparation like for that fight? Uh, preparation was good. I, I just came off of uh, a title fight against Nuri Shakir where I won the belt at Apex. And I was able to do that, uh, fortunately, in like uh, two minutes and not take any damage. So when I got the call, I was in good shape. I just had a couple weeks before the fight. So it was a short notice call, but uh, I was still in good shape for my last uh, training camp. Looking at Josh Koscheck, he knocked out Matt Hughes at UFC 135. So he was a formidable opponent, as you were for him. What was your strategy going into that fight? Uh, the strategy going in was probably uh, just a strike with him. I thought I could beat him straight. I have really good tra- uh, striking uh, training partners. I have some great coaches. 
and uh, you know many years of uh, competition in karate and uh, training boxing and kickboxing and uh, so I, you know the goal was to keep it on the feet um, and uh, that being said you know if there's a chance to uh, take them down or work some ground skills you know take that opportunity as well so really I just wanted to keep it on the feet right when I got in there too I, I felt uh, you know his strikes were easy to see coming and so immediately you know I kind of wanted to keep it on the feet and work from there. So hindsight being twenty twenty, is there anything you would have done differently? Uh, probably, you know, I would. Well, what I've learned now, you know, obviously the evolution of the game, you're constantly learning. So my cage defense uh, is a lot better now. My knowledge of uh, uh, wrestling in those positions against the cage uh, a lot stronger. So, you know, back then it, it was pretty new. You know, I, there wasn't even a lot of cages to train in around here. So. And most of my fights have been in rings in Quebec, so that kind of threw me off. And the size of the cage as well was really big, so I was really surprised by that. When I got out there, it was like 32 feet. I was like, wow, this is so big. So it kind of threw me off at first, and I didn't get a chance to go in the cage before the fight, so I couldn't really uh, get a feel for it because it was preliminary fights going on. So my first step in the octagon was actually right when the fight was about to start. So I kind of had to figure out the range, and he was really moving around uh, and staying a far distance away from me. Uh, being the cage so big, it made it kind of easy for him to do that. And then, uh, yeah, just the cage defense, I think, made the difference in that fight. If I was able to stop the, the takedowns when he pressed me up against the cage, you know, things, uh, you know, would have been, uh, can play out differently as well. So it was uh, definitely a good learning experience. And, and that's what fighting's all about. It's about competing and challenge yourself against the best guys so you can see where your holes are, where you have to develop. And it's about playing your strengths against their strengths and see who can pull off the victory that night. Given that it was your first fight in the UFC and the setting, what was your level of nerves for that fight? Actually, zero. Yeah, no nerves, no nerves at all. Um, I do a lot of mental preparation for my fights, so I, I train my my my, uh, my mind three times a day. Uh, so I've already been in the fight a thousand times by the time I've gotten to, you know, whatever competition I'm getting ready for. Uh, so really, there's no nerves. The only time I get nervous is when I sign the fight, when I sign the contract, and I have the fighter and I. I'm watching his YouTube videos. I'm thinking about him. Um, I'm maybe not even in top shape when I sign that fight. So it's a matter of uh, when I put the work in and I've done every single thing that I can do to prepare for the fight, I have no nerves at all. I'm just excited to get out there, show my skills, entertain the crowd, and let the cards fall as they as they may. So, you know, really all I can control is my training. And when I've done every single thing I can do in training to prepare for a fight, and if the guy beats me, you know, high five to that guy because he beat me when I was in my top shape, you know, top of my game. And uh, he did a great job. So, um, you know, and that being said, that's why I really don't get nervous just because, you know, I'm well prepared and I'm ready for anything in the cage. Jeff, looking at your fight record, all of your wins came from either knockouts or TKOs. Why is that? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Just, uh, um, you know, credit that to my, my, my uh, great uh, boxing coach, uh, Vito Brancaccio, who worked a lot with him and his attention to detail was insane. I used to drive, you know, an hour every day uh, back and forth just to learn from him because the, the, the details were, were magic. So, uh, and I have a really addictive personality, so I really try to take in all, all the details and practice like a madman until I get it all mastered, and, and it, it really helped me. And, and I believed in him, he believed in me, so a lot of times... Uh, you know, I could score the knockouts. Uh, some of the ones with TKOs were on, on the ground, so my jiu-jitsu kicked in, and I was able to ground and pound into a TKO. So I kind of mixed it. I didn't really – actually, I didn't land any submissions. Uh, it was funny. I, I ended up coaching Spencer Fisher for one of his UFC fights in England, and he called me to be his coach, and I had never met the, never met him before. Uh, obviously, looked, you know, uh, liked him as a fighter and was uh, excited to the, for the opportunity. When I got down there, he thought I was just a striker. So when, I start, when he found out I was a black belt in jiu-jitsu, he, uh, he had no idea – from watching my fights. Jeff, do you generally like to keep the fight standing? Um, I think uh, as a fighter, I like to keep it on the feet because I think uh, it's a very entertaining uh, game. I think uh, as a you know as to to bring up your stock, it's it's important to be able to show your striking and not uh, telegraph to your opponent that you just want to take it to the ground and be a ground fighter. You know that being said, you got to keep winning in the UFC. You got to win. Uh, to increase your pay and to, you know, keep your stock strong. So, you know, whatever way uh, it would take me to win a fight, I will use it. But I always felt confident in my striking. And if I went to the ground, then uh, the other skills kick in as well. Would you tell us the origin of your nickname, The Inferno? Actually, it was just uh, nothing too special, really. Just uh, 
some of me and my friends were were out one day. We're talking about uh, nicknames and stuff like that. And I think I was making a website at the time. And everybody's like, you have to have have a nickname. So, you know, the Fernal just kind of came up. And I always thought of it as, you know, if, if there's a big fire, uh, when you're far away from it, it's fun to watch. You know, it's kind of exciting to watch. Obviously, you don't want anybody to get hurt or anything like that. But when you're close to the fire, it's like, it's it's a nightmare. So I always thought if you're, you're outside the cage watching the Inferno fight, it's exciting. But if you're the person fighting the Inferno, that's a different story. So that's the way I kind of always looked at it. Jeff, your pedigree in martial arts, no doubt, is greatly influenced by your father, Rick Jocelyn, who has an impressive legacy in martial arts. I believe you began training at the age of five. Would you take a few minutes and beginning with your father, tell us your story? Uh, it's been a, a long, a long uh, lifetime of martial arts, and I feel very lucky to uh, always make a joke that I've never had a job that doesn't involve punching, kicking, and choking people, and it's fun. Um, my dad uh, threw me in the train when I was five years old, and I uh, didn't really want to do it at first. I just kind of did it uh, for them, and he finally let me quit for a few years to play hockey with my friends, and then I almost got in a fight in high school, and I started to train again on my own. So this time I was motivated for myself, and then from then on it was uh, it was crazy. So I just trained uh, uh, many years in karate. I was able to be um, successful in many uh, tournaments, including the world championships and stuff like that in karate. And uh, just uh, at first it felt like I had such big shoes to fill with my dad, you know, he uh, was Canadian champion, and he was, you know, everybody in the city knew him, and he was, uh, you know, obviously my idol uh, growing up. So I just wanted to be able to be good enough not to embarrass our family name, you know. And so, one step after another, I was able to achieve more and more of my goals, and and fortunately be able to uh, to make it to the UFC and achieve all my dreams uh, in the sport of martial arts and jujitsu as well. I've able to been able to uh, win some big tournaments in jujitsu and just. Living a martial arts, martial arts lifestyle has uh, truly been uh, a dream come true, and I've uh, loved every step of the way. And you hosted an event called the Jocelyn's Canadian Open, the largest grappling event in the country. Please share more with us about that. Well, it was a tournament that my dad, uh, when I was a kid, I guess, he used to have the Canadian Open uh, karate tournament. So he uh, started that back up when I was a teenager, I believe. And uh, so he had a really successful karate tournament. And then obviously we, we were taking starting jiu-jitsu training. So, you know, back in the day, 20 years ago, we were, everybody in Canada was learning from videotapes and studying when, where they could. Um, so as we started to get a bit of knowledge in jiu-jitsu, um, Brazilian style that is, we, we started to incorporate uh, a grappling event. So we did the first time we did the karate tournament on a Saturday at the, at the high school because it was so busy. And then the, the day before, we had a jiu-jitsu tournament uh, at our martial arts school. So we probably had like 75 competitors. So we did the next year, and all of a sudden the place was so packed you could barely breathe. So we decided to expand our karate tournament and run a jiu-jitsu uh, day. So we had a, a grappling, a karate on the Saturday and then jiu-jitsu on the Sunday. And then uh, that jiu-jitsu tournament grew into um, one of the biggest tournaments in Canada. So it was uh, very successful, and it was a, it was a good time. And we had championship belts for every single division, so everybody who won first place got a championship belt. So that's kind of uh, makes it made it a, a unique event. You are the head instructor at Jocelyn's Mixed Martial Arts in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, founded over well close to fifty years ago by your father. Please share a bit with us about Jocelyn's Mixed Martial Arts. How oh, Jocelyn's is. Uh... I think my dad opened it in 1967, so it's been around a long time. Uh, I took over a few years ago from him, so uh, it's been uh, you know awesome for me to be able to implement all the ideas and stuff that I wanted to always uh, try. And I have a great, uh, very proud of the people that we have training with us. We have lot, lots of kids training from ages four till you know all the way up to adults, ages 60 plus. And uh, I'm really happy with the atmosphere. It's a very comfortable atmosphere. We train boxing, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, kickboxing, uh, mixed martial arts, of course. Um, and a bunch of other stuff and get classes going on day and night and I'm there all the time teaching. I try to do my best to, to teach everybody. I don't just teach professional fighters or anything like that. I teach everybody. So I work with the smallest kids, four years up, four years old, all the way up to uh, the recreational adults that are just training to keep in shape and have fun. So, you know, I'm there quite a bit. And for our listeners who are on their devices, the URL for Jocelyn's is www.jocelynsmma.com. 
Jeff, changing lanes to a more personal note, many of my guests share a significant life challenge, which they had to apply their martial arts fundamentals or philosophies to in order to persevere and overcome those challenges. I can say with all sincerity, I certainly have had to. Jeff, within your comfort level, would you share an example of a significant life challenge which you've had to overcome? Well, for me, it was... uh... You know, I think uh, the case with any professional athlete, you always uh, have to make sacrifices. So to be the best I could be, um, you know, I had to sacrifice time with my my wife and my my family. I have two kids. I have an 18-year-old son and a 13-year-old daughter. Uh, Tazen is the older one, and Kaya is my daughter. And uh, unfortunately, when I was training, I I really couldn't spend that much time with my wife. And, you know, our our relationship suffered. And when I retired from fighting, I I realized, wow, I, I mean, I'm so... Uh, focus on, on my martial arts skills. I have all these skills, but I lack in regular, you know, skills in terms of relationship building and and just uh, even friendship building. And so I had to kind of reinvent myself. So uh, unfortunately, having to retire with a concussion, um, I uh, you know I couldn't really train. So it was a very depressing time. So I just started to read some books and and uh, get and try to you know kind of quench that thirst for knowledge that we always do when we're learning martial arts. So. You know, I learned a lot about uh, being a better person, and, and I'm very happy. Actually, I'm uh, I'm really happy that I had to retire because I got to uh, kind of step back and and focus on sometimes the things that uh, really make you happy, which is other people close to you, your family and uh, friends and and my students and and all that. So and sometimes, you know, even when I fought in the UFC, you know, you, you think, oh, I'm going to get here and then I'll be happy forever. You know, and really, I just wasn't that happy. You know, I got to there, achieved all my dreams, and still wasn't that happy so it was kind of a weird thing you, you spend all those years chasing a dream and then realize wow it doesn't really make me that happy after all so um, now I'm in a much happier place I was able to apply the same principles that I used to become a uh, you know a strong fighter to becoming a better person as well so you know and I think as a, a martial artist when you have a lot of successes and failures you, you kind of learn how to uh, you believe in yourself you know that you can achieve things no matter how many setbacks you face you're going to be able to push through and achieve that victory. So I think that helped me uh, tremendously in, uh, you know, making my uh, my regular life uh, that much better. Jeff, thank you for sharing that, and what a great privilege to speak with you and to know you. Thanks for joining us today. Anytime. Thank you very much. Hi, I'm Don the Dragon Wilson, and you're listening to Joseph Clark at Martial Arts World Radio. For those of you listening to Martial Arts World Radio while on your phones, tablets, or laptops, be sure to check out www.worldblackbelt.com, the world's foremost martial arts online community. Also, check out our show website for the advertisement for London Sports. London Sports is a provider of quality sports apparel and equipment at factory prices, which you can brand with your organization's distinctive logo to resell to your members and customers. Just visit www.mawradio.com and click on the London Sports logo to send your inquiry. George Bell was an Olympic Taekwondo team member, Pan Am Games medalist, Olympic Festival gold medalist, and Taekwondo Hall of Fame inductee. George, it's great to have you today. Thank you for joining us. Uh, Pleasure being here. It was awesome talking to you earlier, and I look forward to doing this. George, would you please describe for us your experience with the Olympic team and training as a resident at the Olympic Training Center at Colorado Springs? Uh, Well, uh, you know, I I got into martial arts a long time ago in uh, in the early 70s, and and then sometime in the 80s uh, pursued my Olympic dream. You know, a lot of people have those dreams in different sports. And uh, around 95, uh, I was uh, accepted as a resident at the Olympic Training Center. I was actually looking to possibly go to Korea to train, but I decided, um, let me stay in the States. And I was accepted out there based upon my record. I I think I was ranked number three in the nation at the time uh, as a fighter. And uh, when I got out there, the head coach... uh, it was Hanwan Lee, the two-time Olympian and, and also former Olympic coach. And um, we had the best of the best out there at that time, pretty much between 95 and 99, preparing for the uh, 2000 Olympic trials for the most part. And, um, and the experience was 
phenomenal to be serious, to be honest with you. It's, uh, you know, you're talking about maybe six hours of training every day, five days a week. Um, we normally have two days off, sometimes one, but normally two. And, um, and just the intense training, the focus, the determination that it takes. And then, you, you know, we have to be extremely goal oriented because every sure. Olympic training center is based upon performance. So most people are out there for two years, um, some more. I mean, if you're talking to a wrestler, they might be out there for a decade. But, um, you know, in Taekwondo, between two to four, two years on average, I was out there for about three and a half. And, um, and basically every, every time you're training, you're training for a goal. You're going for this particular tournament, these intermediate tournaments, and you might be working on these particular goals to lead into national championships and then what we call team trials, which is like usually a preparation for the deciding tournament that gives you that spot on the U.S. national team. So you can be a national champion and not necessarily the U.S. team member um, in, the, in the old process that we had back then. And and then you also, the goal was to make the national team so you can compete at the, the World Cup or the World Championships or Pan Am Championships, all these different events that would lead up going toward the Olympics. George, you competed in the Pan Am Games. Now, you are formally trained in several martial arts, and you were a medalist in the Pan Am Games. So what event was that? Well, for the Pan for the Pan Ams, that was a Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. So, uh, I, like you said, uh, I I have black belts in several martial arts. Uh, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu is the one that I don't have a black belt yet. I'm probably a few months out. I've been doing that one for about twelve years. But um, when I competed in that particular one, I was probably already about seven or eight years in to Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. And I bronze medaled at the Pan Ams for Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and bronze medaled at uh, Worlds um, for, for Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu as well. So two different categories, one with gi, one with no gi. George, tell us about the U.S. Olympic Festival and your gold medal. The U.S. Olympic Festival was an event that was catered to prepare uh, athletes for the Olympics. And statistically... Most people that did well at the U.S. Olympic Festival end up becoming your Olympians and meddling at the Olympics. And it was structured identical to the Olympics, but it was based upon four regions within the United States. And they did this on every year except for Olympic year. And uh, it was an extremely big event. And uh, when we went there, it was uh, four top elite fighters, the four top fighters in the United States. And we did a single elimination uh, type of tournament, so it's not a big event as far as uh, like having five or six fights. You pretty much have two fights if you're gold or silver medalist, but you're fighting the best of the best in your division. Um, really propelled me confidence-wise. So that was probably uh, the first major event to propel my confidence up there where I felt as if, you know, I can I can hang with anyone, you know, kind of thing. At that point in time, I was already national ranked, but it really did a lot for my for my confidence at that point in my career. In 2013, you were inducted into the Taekwondo Hall of Fame. Please walk us through that experience. Oh wow the the Taekwondo Hall of Fame is phenomenal. Uh, Gerald Robbins, the uh, the director of the Taekwondo Hall of Fame, uh put it together probably starting back in 2007 and he just um, makes sure that he acknowledges all the icons and the founders and, and great competitors within the sport. And I actually was inducted based upon my experiences with pro TKD. And I don't know um, if you knew about that one, but pro TKD was a series of events that was being held on ESPN and pay-per-view. It was a professional circuit, slightly different rules from Olympic, but it was based around the Olympic style, but we didn't wear gear. So it was full contact okay. with no gear. And, um, and um, basically, uh, I, I did really, really well on that pro circuit. And the uh, Gerald Robbins, and uh, the, he really, really liked me as a uh, pro fighter when he got to see what I was doing on ESPN2 and the multiple fights I had and things of that nature. And 
Uh, so I got acknowledged for that more so than actually my amateur career. So it was actually from my pro circuit, from the pro circuit is where yes. they acknowledged me for the Taekwondo Hall of Fame, which was awesome for me. I mean, right now I think I have about 42 years experience in Taekwondo. Um, when I was inducted back in the 2013, uh, there was probably maybe a total of 50 people or so inducted that particular year. Um, ranging from contributors to the martial art to athletes to a whole bunch of different categories. And I came out of the athlete category for the United States. And it was just a, such a humbling event. And, you know, just to be acknowledged with so many great icons and people that have contributed so much to Taekwondo. And the great thing about the Taekwondo Hall of Fame it's not like with some Hall of Fame you hear out there, there's a million of them. And, you know, there's a handful of them also you might hear about with Taekwondo, but Taekwondo pretty much has one unifying Hall of Fame. Regardless of the federation, they acknowledge all federations, and that's this particular one, the, the official Taekwondo Hall of Fame that I was inducted in. And it's probably the most prestigious because they truly acknowledge everyone from the athletes to the people that help spread the martial art to different pioneers and so forth, and to be put in a group with so many um, phenomenal people that have done so much since the inception of Taekwondo is a, a great privilege and honor for me, to be, to be quite honest. And for our listeners on their devices, if you go on YouTube and you do a search for George Bell Pro TKD or Pro Taekwondo, you will see some videos of George in action competing. George, you have been a champion in both sparring and forms. Do you have a preference? Well, sparring, I would say, but I, when I was a competitor in forms, I had a passion for it. Um, and I was one of the few people, if not one of the less than two or three people on the national circuit at that time in Taekwondo that was actually a national champion in both at the same time. And uh, I just personally love forms. But when it comes to the preference of if you ask me which one would I rather do or put more time toward, it would be the fighting side by far. You know, um, so but I think they're both important for different reasons, for totally different reasons. They're both important. Nowadays, it's totally different because the uh, they made forms into a whole sport itself. So now they call it sport. Pumse. Pumse is the term for a form in Korean. And um and they, they go through a whole process where they have world championships. Back in the day, you know, back in the 80s and 90s, it was more so we didn't have world championships and things like that. We had big international championships that you meddled at or national championships, but it wasn't an organized effort. It's kind of like organized, very similar to the Olympics, but just at a lower level, just up to the world championship level. Now, a moment ago, you said they're both important. Obviously, in your opinion, you feel it's important for the martial artist to study forms. Why is that important? Well, there's a lot of mixed feelings uh, with a lot of opinions. But for me, forms, one, teach you focus. They will teach you technique, although people will argue, well, you, that technique is not relevant for real-life self-defense. Um, there's a lot of hidden meaning behind forms if you learn real forms and not the um, the fancy kind of forms that are just kind of for show. So some of them is just, some of it's just for show. But um, then there's like Japanese kata, the old traditional kata, all have meaning. And older Korean forms did also. And I did the more of the older Korean stuff, you know, type of thing. But there's a lot of meaning to it. But not more than that, it just teaches focus, precision, and so many different things that are going to relate to that relate to everyday life. Fight, don't get me wrong, sparring does that as well. But but they do it slightly in different ways. And uh, they, I, I believe I can always relate forms. I'm, you know, my degree, my music, my degree is in music performance, my college degree. And, um, and I used to teach as well. And basically, I used to always relate forms to a musical composition. You know, and it sounds strange that I may say something like that. But if anyone knows anything about music or if they're a musician and what it takes to become, um, to perform a piece of music, be it jazz or be it classical, and I would, I would relate a form 
a strict classical form, closer to classical music per se. Um, and just the precision and the, the, the technique that it takes and the meaning behind it is extremely phenomenal. And I just really, really think that it's relevant in multiple aspects of life, be it your, your family life, your work life, and, and the focus that it takes to do so many different things. And, you know, you can also relate that to being a high-level athlete because any high-level athlete has to put that same type of focus and practice, you know, into what they're doing as well. George, thank you for a terrific interview. This will be our wrap-up question. As you know, karate will be an Olympic event. There are those who say that although Taekwondo is predominantly kicking, that there is not enough of a difference between the two to warrant having both events in the Olympics. Your thoughts on that? I personally think that they're totally different. And especially if you see today's version of Taekwondo. I'm not a big fan of the modern-day version of Olympic Taekwondo. Um, it's become a very um, front-leg version of sparring and non-power-based. It's about, all about hitting a sensor on a, a protector. And they've gotten good at that, but it's not very power-oriented. It's, re- it's really not combative, in my personal opinion. I came from a full-contact era of Taekwondo. Um, when I look at karate, I'm just, I love it. I love looking at it and it's totally different. They use their hands, they use their legs. Um, I, I, you know, their legs are not bad. I, I think that, uh, older Taekwondo was better as far as the power of the legs, but their legs are not bad whatsoever. They're, they're diverse. They do some takedowns. They can do a, a finishing move in a short period of time. Um, and they're mixing their hands in there a lot. And they have some good footwork. They have a lot of elements um, of excitement that, let's say, Taekwondo may not have right now. So Taekwondo has its hands full, this quadranium, this Olympic cycle, which is what a quadranium is. And, um, and what I mean by that is between now and 2020, they have to really work hard of fixing the sport to be more entertaining, um, have that entertainment factor for spectator-friendly is the term that's used where, the, you know, karate has been a Pan Am sport and within the Olympic uh, um, family for a while. It just hasn't been in the Olympics. That being said, they've been working hard to try to get into the Olympics, and they finally have done it. I mean, you're talking about over 20 years, 25, 30 years. So they've finally done it. And, and um, so um, – I think they're going to show well and they're going to do well. And it's in its home country on top of that in 2020. Taekwondo, on the other hand, has been around, you know, as a demonstration sport since 88. They weren't in the 90, they were out of the 96 Olympics, but then they were a full medal sport from 2001. But it's changing every single year. And I think that gets confusing for a spectator. So to make it spectator friendly, they really have to do something to solidify it to make it not confusing for the spectator and make it exciting for the spectator at the same time. And so one Taekwondo doesn't use much on its hands. It's heavy on the legs. Very, very, it's pretty much 90% kicking type of thing. Karate is probably a 60, 40, you know, or, you know, type of percentage and, you know, between the hands and the feet. And they really do a good job of being very entertaining and so forth. So, I think they're different enough, but if someone's going to leave, it's going to be the one that is less spectator-friendly. And that's why I said Taekwondo has an uphill battle because of the, the stage that it's in presently, in my personal opinion. George, thanks for joining us today. Congratulations on your martial arts journey, and we look forward to speaking with you again real soon. Thanks again for joining us. All the best. Hey, thank you so much for having me, and hey, it's been a joy talking to you and sharing my experiences with you. This is Olivier Gruner. You are listening to Martial Arts World Radio with Joseph Clark. Martial Arts World Radio is distributed worldwide on a network which includes broadcast stations, internet radio stations, podcast platforms, listen-on-demand channels, and social networks. If you would like to add your station to our network, or if you wish to sponsor the show, reach out to me by email at producer at mawradio.com. 
Our next guest is a kickboxing legend, Superfoot Bill Wallace, who held an undefeated kickboxing record over 23 fights. He has been the star of numerous martial art films, and he has authored several instructional books and DVDs. Bill, thank you for joining us, and welcome to Martial Arts World Radio. Well, thank you very much for having me. Bill, you had a professional record, undefeated, over 23 professional fights. How many were by knockout? I didn't ever check, but I think about 18 or 19 of them. I had so, 17 knockouts with just a sidekick, or excuse me, 13 knockouts with a sidekick, which is my favorite kick to throw, you know. So, yeah, thir- well, 14 of them, 13 with a sidekick and one with a roundhouse kick to the head. And then one with a hook kick, I guess you might say, so... Which would you say was your toughest fight? Every one of them. You know, I, ironically, it was, you know, when we first started it in 1974, none of us really knew what full contact was like, except for, especially for Joe Lewis, because he'd done it before a couple times. But, uh, but uh, when, I, when I started defending my title, because I did a lot of kicking and I was a, a showcase-type fighter, I guess, uh, I didn't get a, a bum of the month club. All of my fights were top-notch fights. You know, guys were ranked in the top ten and all that stuff. So I didn't get a bum of the month. And uh, so every one of them was tough. I didn't get a chance to slough off. And, and I defended my title probably five times a year. If you can mm-hmm. look at it, I, I won the title in 74. Uh, and then and that was in September of 74. And then I retired June 1980. So basically it, it was 23 fights in five just about five years, so, you know, that's four or five times a year I'd fight, as opposed to once every three or four years. Bill, would you walk us through that transition from competing in point karate to full contact karate, a.k.a. kickboxing? Well, when I first started karate, it was fun. I enjoyed it because I could throw a punch or I could throw a kick and and just touch you and say, hey, I could have killed you if I wanted to. And, uh, you know, because we, we had control, we tried control, and we used focusing and so forth. So when we threw techniques, we, we basically controlled them. And then in 1974, when uh, a friend of mine named Joe Lewis and another friend named Mike Anderson called me and said, you're going to be our middleweight in the kickboxing aspect. And I says, no, I'm not. And I said, what do you mean? And they said, what do you mean, no? And I says, I don't want to do that. Uh, you know, to me right now, I can throw a kick or throw a punch and think I could have hurt you. I don't have to throw it and know that it won't hurt you. So... Uh, uh, they they kind of forced me into doing it, but then I found out it was I, it was quite quite enjoyable. I really enjoyed it, especially the training aspect of it. The fights themselves were were the downer part, but the training for the fight was very very enjoyable. I liked it because you could you know you could go as hard as you want on the bag, you could punch it, kick it. We found out karate techniques didn't really work. Karate punches didn't really work because you know they they were focused, they were strong, they were fast, they were snappy, but you got a big old heavy glove on an 8-ounce or a 10-ounce glove on, all sure. of a sudden, all that snap and all that power didn't do anything. So we found out we had to go from the karate techniques to primarily uh, doing boxing techniques, and that's where, you know, that's where the kickboxing came in from. Bill, what was it that made you distinctive? And I'm sure it was more than just a really fast kick. You fought a lot of good fighters. You had an undefeated record. What was it that made Super Foot Bill Wallace distinctive? Well, you know, number number one, when you're point fighting, you know, the, you, nobody wins every match there ever was, you know, because if, if, if the referees don't want you to win, you're not going to win. It, yeah. That's just all there is to it. Uh, but in kickboxing, you know, I said, hey, I have everything that I can say about this. I can, I can you know, cause I, because I was champion, we fought 12 rounds. So I said, hey, I got 12 rounds that I can do what I need to do with this guy. And uh, because I was an ex-wrestler in high school and college, uh, I was in pr- fairly good physical condition. So, uh, you know, I know as a, I'm going to be in better shape than this guy's going to be in. I'm going to be stronger, faster, uh, better condition, so forth. So I'm going to win, and there's nothing sure. you can do about it. And plus, you know, having a left leg that worked pretty good, plus I'm left-handed, so I had a good jab and a good left hook. I had a natural left hook. So, so you know, I, I, le- I, I tell people when I do a seminars, I, le- I learned to box for two reasons. First reason was to keep you away from me so I could kick you. The second reason was to keep you away from me so I could kick you. <laughs> and so they're both both the same reason. But but you know the boxing became kind of fun after a while. I just used basically, 
in you know in point tournaments the back fist to keep you away from or the rich hand you, you charge it and try to jam me. But in the kickboxing aspect of it, the jab and the and the hook punch became very very effective. Now you said just a moment ago that the training was the high point, but the fight itself was a downer. Why was that? Uh, well, understand the fight. You know, we fought twelve two minute rounds, right? Yeah. So that's twenty four minutes. Well, you know, I would go and train five days a week at the, at the boxing gym or karate gym, whatever, which, whichever one I was at. And I'd train two and a half, three hours a night. So that's, you know, that's, and I would go probably anywhere between 30 and 35 rounds every night. Sure. Because, you know, what we need is endurance. You know, once the technique is there, that's fine, but you get tired, nothing helps. So, so I would work between 30 and 35, 40 rounds every night. So, you know, 12 rounds was nothing. Bill, looking back over your career and travels, who were some of your favorite fighters? Uh, well, you know, I sparred a lot with Joe Lewis, who, who was a very, very super friend of mine. Even though he was an heavyweight, we sparred quite a bit together. Uh, Don Wilson, again, uh, a light heavyweight fighter, was a great guy for the spar because we were friends. Sure. Uh, you know, a, a lot of the guys out there, I mean, everybody, I was, I never had any animosity towards any of the fighters I ever fought. You know, I just, I went out there to win. And I never tried to knock anybody out. I just tried to, to win the fight. I was prepared to go the distance. Uh, and, you know, I got lucky once in a while. I kind of died walking into it or I, I threw a good kick or whatever. So I was thrilled if I won. <laughs> Bill, at what age did you get into martial arts? I, I was 17 when I, when I got into martial arts because I, I just joined the service and started playing judo. But I was a wrestler in high school and college. I started wrestling when I, when I was... Uh, I think uh, thir- 12 years old. So, uh, you know, uh, wrestling is probably the first martial art there was. Sure. So you had already had a taste of combat arts, and you realized this was something that you enjoyed. I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. I like the, I like the one-on-one competition. You know, me against you. Nobody else can do anything about it. And, and the rules are such that, you know, that you can bend and play with them, turn them somehow to we to, to so whatever happens, things can be beneficial towards you. So, Bill, when you were preparing for a match and training for a match and planning, how much of it was strategy? Probably 100%. I would say 95 to 100%. Uh, okay. I knew I was fast. I knew I was quick. I knew I was strong for my size. So I just, you know, I, I just go out there. My job is to get you to block because when you block someplace else, you're open. And and that's what I try to do. I, my, if you ever watch my kicking, it's, I use a lot of combinations in the kicking, make you block something, make you create an opening on yourself. And when that happens, someone's creating an opening, and, and I try to score on that opening. Plus, also, you're not sure. hitting me back. I like that part. And having two-minute rounds, by design, kickboxing was intended to be a fast-paced engagement. Exactly, simply, simply because of the kicking involved. They did a they did a study, a physiological study, and they found out if if we're throwing our kicks like we're supposed to be throwing our kicks, uh, you know, technique wise, uh, uh, they're supposed to be the same as a three minute round in boxing because of the effort that it takes to throw the kicking movements. Bill, do you follow the UFC, Bellator, and other mixed martial arts fight promotions organizations? Very little, very little. I I I've discussed it with something when they call it ground and pound. I, there's some, a lot of good guys out there fighting now, but when you can say, well, we're going to get on the ground and pound, well, that's a street fight to me. And, you know, you go out, go out there on the street, go out there on the street and have, have some guy do a double leg takedown on you, see what happens to his knees, see what happens to his face. You know? Sure. If you notice, if, you have, if you've ever watched uh, jiu-jitsu people train, which I'm not against it at all, I think jiu-jitsu is fantastic. If you if you if you ever watch uh, jujitsu training, they always have to be on a mat. They always train on a mat, and they always start from the down position. They don't start from the up position. Bill, you have been a personal trainer and a training partner for several celebrities, including the King Elvis Presley and John Belushi. What was it like training Elvis Presley? 
uh, well, I was not his trainer. My job was to work out with him. He, his teacher was uh, Ed Parker in Los Angeles, California. My job in in Memphis was to have a school for him to come and train and to work out with me, and we'd work out and hang out and just you know just have a great time together. And he, and he you, was a very good he's a very good martial artist too. I heard that Elvis was a real fan of martial arts. He was, yes, he was. Yeah, yeah. When he was in the army, he started training over in Germany, and you know. It's, when you're in a service, you have basically two choices to what to do when you're off work. You go get drunk like everybody else does or find something to do. And he found something to do by doing the martial arts and then, uh, you know, plus also staying in chase. So it kept him in very, very good physical condition. Bill, you have been a co-star in films with Chuck Norris, Jackie Chan, and Mickey Rourke, to name just a few. Do you have a favorite film out of your own repertoire? Most most of the people will tell you the first film that they did is the most famous, the the most well liked, simply because uh, everything is new and different. Yeah, I mean Chuck Chuck Norris was absolutely fantastic. When we did a Force of One, uh, I had no idea what was going on. He helped me he helped me from the get go. I mean, I had a fantastic time with him and learned so much working with Chuck. So so and you know you'll say basically that's what happens. It's uh, usually the first film is everybody's favorite, simply simply because you know that's the first one. Everything's new and exciting. Bill, what advice would you give to our listening audience on pursuing their goals and becoming a champion? Well, number one, you have to enjoy it. You have to have fun. If you don't have fun, you look for reasons not to do something. Uh, I always look for extra reasons to do something even more. And I have a blast doing it. If you've ever been to any of my seminars or something, I probably kick more than anybody else does simply because I love the kicking aspect of it. Just Besides, I don't throw them perfect every time. So I'm always working to try to make my kicks as, as, as good as they can possibly be, as fast as they can possibly be, as high as they can possibly be. So we work with that aspect of it. But, you know, the, the most important thing is if you want to do it, you got to keep doing it and have fun doing it. And, and understand, too, that no two people are built the same. We have different strengths, different weaknesses different psychological makeup, but also with different physio- uh, uh, you know, stretching-wise. So, so you know, I'm a kicker. I like to kick people a lot, you know, and and that's my whole goal. And I learned, to, like I said, I learned to punch to keep you away from us. I could kick you. And I, then I found out it's kind of fun to punch people. Bill, in recent interviews with Benny the Jet Yurkidas, he has said that martial arts can be applied as a metaphor to life. Do you agree with that? One hundred percent. One hundred. Name one other activity that you can do your entire life. Do it at the same speed. Do it at the same movement. Do it at the same uh, intensity and so forth. You know, people say, "Well, golf is a lifetime sport." Sure, but if, but but it's always competitive. You know, it's you want to score. Well, why do you want to score? If it's just for fun, why do you want to score? Well, you want to play from the up tees. Well, why? Why can't I play from the back tees? Well, because you're older now and you can't shoot as good. Well, if you don't care what score you get, why can't I play from the tips? But karate, you know, karate training, martial arts training all together, there's people out there that are old and old and old. I'm all, you know, I'll be 71 in another two weeks, and I have an absolute blast. I have a, just, it's just so much fun to me, and I look forward to doing it every day. My wife, you know, my wife gets, well, you gonna, I'm gonna, you're going to go work out today? Yeah, I'm going to go work out today. Okay, see you, see you when you get through working out. And she's, you know, with me 100%. So, Bill, week in and week out on this show, I'm interviewing world champions, icons, legends like yourself, UFC fighters, uh, Olympic martial arts medalists. And what they tell me usually is that their losses were the most invaluable learning experiences, that they learned more from the losses than they did from the victories. Now, someone like yourself with an undefeated record, this is very unusual to have a record of victories in a row to the extent that you did. Were there other losses or other humbling experiences that you had to go through in order to be a world champion? Trust me, I, I lost. I mean, not, not, not in kickboxing, but I lost point tournaments. And, and every time I would lose, every time I, I learned so much just sparring on the side. You know, I learned sure. so much just working out with people, the techniques that they would throw. You know, if, if, if you ever if you ever talk to a good fighter, he's only got four or five techniques that he really, really likes, that he really, really uses really well. 
And those are the five he's going to perfect. Those are the five he's going to use all the time. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's like in football. You know, when you watch American football, and there's so many plays that this guy's almost guaranteed that they're going to get four or five yards. And that's what they play. And that's, and they're, they're, that's their, their beauty because you got this down. I mean, I, are you a martial artist? For 30 years. Yes, I am. Okay, good. Think about this. How many techniques are there in kicking? Tons of them, right? Different Correct. ways of kicking, so forth. How many different punching techniques? How many different striking techniques, right? Sure. Well, you know, not everybody can do all of them. Not everybody's supposed to be able to do all of them. What you do is, my job as a teacher is to teach you all of them. Your job as a, as a student is to pick up three or four that you really, really like and perfect mm-hmm. those. That's what it's all about. Not to, not to learn all of them. I mean, if you learn all of them, you've wasted half your time because I can't, matter of fact, I can't throw kicks with my right leg because i got a bad knee. So, so I have to be able to do the same thing with my left leg that you do with both your legs. Bill, you are in demand to make appearances at events and as a keynote speaker. Should any of our listeners wish to get in contact with you about making arrangements to book your time, where should they contact you? Yeah, on 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 email, it'd be bill at superfoot.com. Bill at superfoot.com. And, of course, your website is www.superfoot.com. Bill, we must bring our interview to a close. I have one last question. When you look back at your fights, the glory, the pride, the accomplishment of standing there in the ring as your arms are lifted in victory, the adoration of the crowd... Do you ever get sentimental about it? Oh yeah, very much so. You know, I, 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 every fight that I had, I can go through every fight that I had and tell you what happened every round, every instant. What I, what I hit the guy with, what he hit me with, and and go back and say, wow, I see, look how stupid I was when I did this. Look how dumb I was. Oh, I caught him doing this, or I got him to walk into this, or things like that. And you look back and you go, wow, you know, I had a great time. But but I look back on it. And, you know, shut your eyes and you go, hey, and, and I don't mean this, I don't miss a sound like a brag or anything like that, but at one time, I can say to myself, I was the best there was. Bill, thank you for being our guest today. Congratulations on your legacy and your career, and we look forward to speaking with you real soon. And I wish you the best of luck in your ongoing endeavors. Thank you, sir. Be sure to check us out at www.mawradio.com and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube by following Martial Arts World Radio. I'm Joseph Clark. Thank you for listening. Martial Arts World Radio is the official radio show and podcast of The Factory, Martial Arts Boxing and Fitness at 450 Matheson Boulevard East, Unit 44, Mississauga, Ontario. Check us out at www.factorygrindgym.com.